Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Jersey Joe Corner. It is brought to you by Big Heads Media. It is going to be a great hockey season uh, coming right up. A lot of interesting things. Uh, Anchor.fm will help you uh, start your podcast and get things rolling. It's going to be a lot smoother when you uh, when you get the Anchor app, and it's so much easier to navigate. Even their online website at Anchor.fm is very efficient, and you can do a lot of great things with it. With the first pick overall, the New Jersey Devils are proud to select from the U.S. program, Jack Hughes. Good evening, everybody. This is Jersey Joe and your host, Jersey Jim. How's everybody doing tonight? Uh, Eight o'clock here on the East Coast. We're just waiting for our guest to come on. Uh, Special guest tonight, going to break down everything. And here he is right now. Um, Just want to fill in everybody tonight. We have a great guest. Um, Pleased to introduce uh, from the fourthperiod.com and one of the co-hosts of the hot stove on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio, powered by the fourth period, Dennis Birdstein. Thank you so much for coming on tonight. Joe and Jim is a long-standing uh, resident of New Jersey. I'm happy to join you guys and talk about the draft and uh, the playoffs. Yeah, it's uh, big big news today coming out from the NHL today. Uh, Commissioner Gary Bettman uh, formally announces the 2014 playoff and the end of the 2019-20 regular season. Yep, absolutely. So where do you want to start, guys? Well, uh, well I would like to start off uh, how, what should fans expect uh, going forward with the NHL draft via video call like Zoom like the NFL did? Yeah, I would assume that's how they're going to do it. It's going to be a virtual event. And uh, Gary even talked about having the awards. If the awards were pulled off, everything's going to be virtual. So uh, do I think it's going to be to the extent that we saw with the NFL? No, for the simple reason that the NFL has far more resources than the NHL does. Um, so I don't think you're going to see 40 kids lined up, you know, 17, 18-year-olds with video feed. You might have the first top 10 maybe, maybe the, the top 30, not sure. But, uh, again, I, I don't expect the full presentation. And I don't think Gary's going to be in his basement of his home either to do it as well. So maybe he'll have it at the NHL offices or something. But um, I would think that um, um, that it will be – look, if you can't adapt and you can't understand that this is different times, then don't watch it. But I certainly think it's going to be interesting, intriguing, and it's going to be something a little different. So hopefully they can. And, you know, Gary and Bill hosted a, a Zoom conference call tonight, and, uh, you know, three or four of the media guys didn't uh, – 
didn't unmute their microphone. So I certainly there'll be some uh, I'm sure there'll be some bloopers and stuff. But I think it would mirror what the NHL did with respect to their uh, uh, NFL did with respect to their draft. I know you guys talked about on the uh, hot stove like the one day I, I remember I was commenting like it's so difficult to do it because and and you guys said it best. The NHL draft, unless you're an NHL and hockey fan, you don't know half the players in the draft. And with yeah. college football and NFL, you know, you're going to see these guys play right away. With the NHL, right. you may not see these guys come up for like three, four years. Yeah. And look, it would have been a good lead into the because we haven't had hockey for three months. So I have no problem doing it in June or in early July because, A, all these teams are ready to do it. Don't, don't tell me that they can't do it, right? That they've, they've done most of the scouting. The only thing they couldn't have done was to see uh, kids playing uh, postseason in juniors or in college, right? So everything else they would have seen. I'm sure they had their big boards and their war rooms already assembled. And if you give them 30 days to figure out, I'm sure they would. So I, I don't get that part. It would have been fun. It would have been nice. It would have been different. But, you know, the, the majority, and it was probably a slight majority, of the NHL GMs got their way. So we're going to do it after the season's over, which is fine as well. Uh, but again, as you point out, this is not, and not only that, you mentioned the kids are being drafted. This is not a Connor McDavid, Sidney Crosby, Austin Matthews draft. Like Lafreniere is a really good player. Byfield was a number two. Now he's kind of slid down to maybe three or four. These are not generational players. And I can only reference, uh, you know, a year ago when everybody talked about Jack Hughes and Capo Caco. Well, guess what? Jack Hughes' brother is up for the, the Calder, and Kako's on the fourth line in New York. So it's not something that's going to change the directly change the um, the fortunes of any team that gets the first overall pick. It would have been nice, um, but look, given the circumstances and how we're going to do the playoffs, it's going to be a little different. But again, the intrigue should still be there. So with that tying into my first question, um, do you see a – uh, prospects uh, like on Zoom um, mm-hmm. going forward with like after the draft lotteries, like the first phase and the second phase. Yeah, well, you get yeah, you could have that. Like and and going forward, not just this year, but I think totally going forward, you might have more virtual scouting. You may not have people getting on planes left and right. You may have to do it, you know, through a lot more video work. So I, I think that you know, you, could you do interviews with kids right now? Um, talking to them about the, you know what, what what their mental approach to the game is. Yeah, you can do that, right? I mean, who's ever going to win the first overall pick? Look, you got to do Lafreniere. Who's ever going to get the first pick is going to pick him. I was probably going to get the second or third of it in the fo- uh, the, the form hole. So I think the first team, if they if they go in order, the order holes with respect to points, it would be the Kings. Now, what do they do? Do they look at an Alexander Holtz? Do they look at you know the Drysdale kid or, Je- or Jeff Sanderson's son? Like what they might have to do some more work, due diligence, if they know they're going to be the fourth overall pick. So I think once we get to the pick four, pick five, you're going to have to get on some sort of conference call. With these kids. And the good thing about kids 17, 18 years old, unless unlike old cats like me, they know the technology. They can get on a Microsoft Teams call. They can get on a Zoom call. They know not to mute their phone or their, the conference call. So I think there'll be, the, the, the draftees will be really comfortable with the technology of having to do this. And there's no combine either, but and I was never a big believer in the combine the guys, you know, just running on bikes and getting VO two, uh, you know, ratings and things of that nature. So I, I think that structurally or conceptually scouting could change over the years, because I think there's just going to be less travel 
uh, in and around North America. That yeah, it's interesting that you say that because I could see because I know you guys were talking about you know what are the plans for like the draft going forward. I know like next year, do you see like Montreal getting it back? Because I was looking forward to going up there. Uh, any any word on that? No, I think the next. I think the following season was awarded to Edmonton. I think, but no, I think the NHL that if they still do it and they want to do it because you know, Steve Mayer does a great job with his uh, event team because they still want events. They want keystone events like the awards like the draft so i think montreal would probably get it in the next open season uh where they haven't determined uh, a draft city which i think would be 2022 so they will get it back um just like you know florida will get an all-star game back as well because i don't assume there's going to be an all-star game next year so they'll probably get one back once it's wide open so i want to hit on um how can this um affect hockey related revenue uh, from this offseason, the cap uh, coming right up right after they get the playoffs done? Um, well, most of the revenues were in, so we lost, what, 20% of the game? So no one knows what the salary cap's going to be next year. No one knows how much the ESCO is. Now, the one of the reasons that they are playing is that if they not played, you know, the, the reports were 35% ESCO which the players did not want, no way, shape, or form. So I think that, that the fact that we are going to come back, and I assume we are going to play, guys. We're going to get TV's revenue and sponsorship revenue. That's going to knock that number down. But, look, every sport's taking a hit. If you look at the, the numbers that the MLB wants to, the, the, to reduce player salaries, I just looked at it. Jeff Fasson from ESPN just said that they propose if a player's making $35 million this year contractually, they want to pay that player $7.5 million this year which is insane. It's crazy. So I think there may be a rollback. I certainly think there might be a little bit of higher escrow. But Gary said on the call today that you know, people wrote, wrote, raised that point. And he said that all the financial, all the franchises are financially stable. Every sport is taking a hit. So I don't think the, the gravity of that, the, you know, we would end professional sports or the NHL would end, you know, given what's happened here with respect to our economy, is going to be the is going to be that great. It, it appears that these these uh, these teams are financially enough stable. They got enough money in from from season ticket sales this season, and I'm a season ticket holder for the Kings. I'm just deferring some of my payments into next season. So uh, I, I think the one key though is I think that the reason that they're comfortable starting the season in December or January is that they do want. They do want a live game. They do want fans in the stands. And Gary even said as much. He hopes that next season that they would start the season, whatever it is, with fans in the stands. To what extent, we don't know. Uh, but certainly that's the, uh, the hope that we do that. So I don't think that, that the financial doom and gloom, like every other doom and gloom we've heard, and don't get me going on that. Which <laughs> because I'm very, very, I'm very upset about the way this has been handled. But I don't think the doom and gloom really is there. I think that these... And again, these teams are owned by big media conglomerates, billionaires. They can afford to take some losses here. So I, I think that will be fine going into next season. Can I tell you if it's going to be 81 or 75 or 72? I can't tell you that. I don't think anybody knows at this point. I think, and Gary and Bill said this on the call, I think they're just trying to get through the season and they'll deal with it in the offseason. All right. Uh, that, that brings me to my next question um, in regards to um... – the playoff format, I've been a big proponent of saying, you know, because it's Montreal, New York, and Chicago, the mm -hmm. original six markets, yeah. um, would you have seen a different format, say, if it was Jersey, <laughs> Buffalo, and another team? No, no, because here's the thing. 
they didn't all play the same number of games. Some teams played 68, some played 70, some played 71. No, I'm not the conspiracy theorist to saying, okay, you got two original six teams in there, um, or actually three original six teams in Montreal, Chicago, and New York. No, I, I think that had the Rangers kept playing and they played the rest of the season out, they probably would have got in, right? Now, Montreal and Chicago, probably not. But you got to make some allowances. So the cutoff point would have been 20. Now, here's what I think does happen. I think that when we get to next season, we play a full season. I don't think we're at 16. I think we're at 20. So I think, I think what's going to happen is, here's what happens. You have a couple upsets in the first round. Montreal beats Pittsburgh. Chicago beats Edmonton. Everybody's talking about it. And the is going, oh, this playing round doesn't seem to be such a bad thing. So maybe the 7, 8, 9, 10 teams in each conference play each other in a playing round. It gets more playoff revenue. You can raise the ticket prices. So I think that's what happens. Do I think this is a conspiracy theory? No. And the line I always go back to, I've used it on the show, Tim Kirkson, the great baseball writer at ESPN. We're going to land on the best of a bad idea. These are all bad ideas. They're not what we're used to. we got to pick the best one for it. And I don't think – I think once we get playing – because, look, there's two camps, right? There's cats who are going to complain all the time about everything. The ones that say end the season, you shouldn't play anymore, which is ridiculous because the league wants to play, the players want to play, the fans want it. So these outliers that say we should just forget the season, don't watch. Please don't watch. But I think the rest <laughs> of us like want to do this. So I think, it, look, guys, here's the deal. I get it. It may be inequitable for like a, a team like – and Jordan Martin brought it up on, when he talked about why he voted no on the, on the setup. Like, because now they have to play five rounds to win the Stanley Cup, right, as opposed to four. But they're playing the Rangers. If they went back to the old setup, and let's say it was 16 teams, instead of playing the Rangers in the first round, they would have played the Caps in the first round. You can't tell me that you'd rather play the Caps than the Rangers, right? So I get it, I understand it. But I think what the fifth, what this additional round means is that the, the idiots that think there should be an asterisk with respect to this, this championship, are you kidding me? This could be the most difficult championship to win because some teams will have to play an extra round all the players will be healthy so every team is at full force like teams like columbus who had seth jones out and atkinson out that maybe josh anderson might come back stan Cups would be back in tampa this would be the most difficult stanley cup to win so the, the asterisk garbage that you hear from people again that's just another short-sighted take by people that don't really know this game. So I, I just think that that's where we stand right now. So I have no problem with the format. I think it would be a lot of fun because, guys, remember, when people – look, if Pittsburgh lost to Montreal, people are like, oh, that stinks. People have such short memories. Do they forget that the number one seeds all lost last year? That's what the Stanley Cup players are so good because there are upsets. You don't know what's going to happen. And now from all these teams – you know, starting from a standing start, who knows what's going to happen at this point in time. I just think it may favor the more defensive-minded teams, like the Islanders and the Jackets, for instance, because those teams play a more defensive style. And I just think it's going to be like baseball in April, right? I think pitching is going to be ahead of hitting in baseball. I think defense is going to be ahead of offense. So I think that a perfect example is Edmonton. When we hit the pause and play, Edmonton was the best team on the power play and the best team on the penalty kill. Now, do you think that they're going to have the same chemistry coming out of the box to make those two units successful? Well, maybe with Leon and Connor, but you don't know. You don't know the rest of the units. So I, I just think that this could be really difficult. I have no problem with Montreal and Chicago being in there because the people that want to complain about Montreal being in, and they even chirp and saying that if they 24 is their favorite number right now. So, no. <laughs> Here's the thing. Montreal lost 
four times to Detroit. So you're telling me that Pittsburgh is is scared of playing a team because of one player carried by to a team that won 19 regulation games and lost four times to Detroit. You're scared of that team. What do you want? You want to play Ottawa, Detroit? Is that what you want to play, Pittsburgh? So, I mean, I, I think that some teams might have had reservations about these underlying. That the problem is, is that you've got to carry Price on um, Montreal more. So, I think the other, the more concern would be in Edmonton, and they got to play Chicago with Taves and Kane, and those two guys are motivated. They can dominate series, right? And Kubala had a really good year. Maybe Corey Crawford gets hot. I think the da- I think the danger with respect to the five twelve seeds is in Chicago versus Edmonton as opposed to Montreal versus Pittsburgh. And so, just to think about it, you're talking about the playoffs. You know, you never know because, you know, like a Crosby or maybe a Patrick Kane. You know, these guys live for the playoffs. It's their bread and right. butter. Um, what do you think they will do to try and offset um, some of those losses, like you said about the ticket prices um, and other hockey-related revenue? There's nothing they can really do. Well, here's the thing. You know, in the playoffs, the players don't get paid, and they forego their last paycheck to help out with escrow next year. So, so I, I don't think there's anything they can do. The one thing that might help them from a revenue standpoint is, remember, there was something called the Summer Olympics that was supposed to be played this summer. Now NBC's got this huge void in their programming schedule. Well, so you're going to see first-round games on NBC probably. You know, you're probably going to see Pittsburgh and Montreal and Chicago and Edmonton on there. You know, so the Blackhawks, Kane uh, and Taves against Leanne and Connor. You don't think that's going to be on a 1 o'clock game on a Saturday? Of course it is. So I don't think there's much they can do to overcome the lack of the loss of hockey-related revenue, but they're, they're putting more games in. This layer of another round of playoffs or the playing round, is going to help out with that with respect to, you know, you know, with respect to uh, TV revenue and with respect to sponsorships. But there's not much they can do because most of this stuff was already done. Again, we were 80% done with the season anyway. So they're going to have to take losses. It's like risk like any other business these days. There's going to be some losses involved due to the fact that we lost, you know, per team probably 13 uh, to 15 games in the end of the regular season. So when it comes to the playoffs, uh, Gary said today uh, – He's looking at two cities, one will yep. be east, one will be a west, uh, 12 teams. I saw um, on the fourth period you put something up about yep. L.A. being a city. That's like unimaginable about a month ago because of what was going on in California and, you know, just, you know, everything was locked down, potentially no sports till 2021. What changed with all of this? Um, well, some of us are a little bit more informed than others, number one. That's why we wrote that story yesterday. Um, yes. What happened was uh, last week, when Gavin Newsom said that he could see professional sports sports coming back um, as early as the first week of June. Um, And you had teams like uh, uh, the Clippers and Lakers open training facilities and LAFC and the Galaxy open MLS. I I just think things are improving uh, because all the comments coming out of LA are improving. Um, And not only that, you have a situation in LA and, and certainly they made the pitch way before last week right so th- this was they were considering yeah. was you have a, a facility in la with respect to la live where you have the combination of the jw marriott and the ritz carlton hotel you have a thousand rooms right you have restaurants in that complex and not only that that city our city is very very familiar with hosting big events so what they do at la lot they can put up fencing you couldn't even get in there if you wanted to get in there they street close off the streets you couldn't get in there um so they could be housed and segregated away from the general population, number one. Number two, 
there's actually subterranean connection between LA Live, uh, the convention center, and Staples Center. So the, the players wouldn't even have to go up the street level if they didn't want to. They could be shuttled back and forth underneath uh, Staples Center and LA Live and go back and forth to play the games. So the security standpoint or the, the, the possibility of being exposed to the general public is basically no. So they can lock that down, do it, and have no problem with it. They have the facilities. The weather's good here. Things are improving here. So it's not like, you know, what is happening, you know, happening in other parts of the city with respect to any outbreaks wouldn't affect downtown L.A. These, these players, if they chose L.A., I don't think they will. Um, my understanding is that it's, it's down the list, but they're still being considered. Uh, I certainly think they could pull it off. And what Gary said today is that any of these 10 teams or 10 cities could host you know, be a hub city. Now, the one thing that may stand in LA's favor is that you've got this 14-day quarantine with the Canadian government, people coming in the country. If they can't relax that by the end of July, when they're or the middle of July, when they're probably June, when they announce what the cities are, it's probably going to be three to four weeks. If they can't assure that, then it's going to knock out Vancouver, Toronto, and Edmonton, at least in the early rounds, right? Then maybe in the later rounds, they could do it. And that one thing, Gary brought up with respect to the hub cities, somebody asked, and I was going to ask the question, like, if things improve, and we had a situation where it was Edmonton and Tampa in the final, and both cities didn't really have much trace of COVID-19, could you play in those cities and be, make it easier for those teams? And he said, well, you never know. It depends on where we stand with respect to the world at that point in time. But kind of he hinted that, well, we could either play in the hub cities or a third city. So you may have a scenario where, let's say, Pittsburgh and Columbus or Pittsburgh and Edmonton were the hub cities. Okay? You could have a scenario for the cup, conference final, cup final. They play in Vegas. They love Vegas. They love the building. And I know it's going to be 190 degrees in the summertime in Vegas, but <laughs> absolutely the ice is one of the best ice surfaces in the league. So Jonathan Bernie, the Journal of Montreal, I think reported that last week, that it could be the last two rounds could be in Vegas. I would suspect that that could be the case. Everything is still, you know, nothing's been finalized. Things have been censored, but I know they really love that building. And again, you have a situation there where attached to T-Mobile Arena is Park MGM and New York, New York. Plenty of hotel rooms, plenty of space. If they wanted to go further down the strip, they have uh, uh, Mandalay Bay and uh, the Delano Hotel. Those two hotels are connected by a walkway. I've been in those hotels late at night a lot of times, so I know they're connected. And you, could just, and you again, you could you could cordon off the general public from those two hotels and house everybody in there. That was the thinking when the NBA was considering Vegas. Now they're going to go to Orlando. And the other thing that stands that helps out Vegas is the fact that the NBA is probably going to go to Orlando. So they don't have to compete with the NBA for hotel rooms or anything like that. So I think that's what you're going to see. L.A. is viable. All the 10 cities are viable. They could host it. But like I said, government regulations may come into play. But I think if I have to handicap it right now, I would kind of think Vegas and Edmonton are at the top on the West. And I think they do want an Eastern team. I think Pittsburgh probably at this point is a little ahead of Columbus. But certainly Columbus could host it as well. Uh, just to follow up with that, do you see them doing it um, for TV purposes, like do one East, one West, and then go to Vegas for the cup final and conference yeah, it, final? I, I think that that's a – They've thought about that. I don't think that playing a game from a time standpoint, you know, look, if you're playing two or three games in the first round in a day, you're going to play probably at one Eastern, four Eastern, and seven Eastern, you know, or you could do four, seven, and 10, right? I don't know if you want to start playing. If you do it in the West, 
if you're playing in Edmonton and it's a 10 p.m. start Eastern, that's 8 p.m. local. Probably best you can do. So I think there's some consideration about television and time differences and time changes. So the preference would be to do one in the East. But again, I, I went to a couple of Stanley Cup finals. What you would do is the Stanley Cup final is going to be played at 8, 8 Eastern. If it's played in L.A. or Vegas, that's 5 p.m. So I've been to plenty of Stanley Cup hockey games in L.A. Uh, when they went in 2012 and 2014 when they started at 5 p.m. local time. I don't think that's going to be an issue. If it was Edmonton, then it would be 6 p.m. local time. So I think once you get to the cup final, I don't think where they play it has any, any bearing with respect to time changes. could be in the first round. So it might lend itself towards, yeah, one team in the West and one team in the East. So, Dennis, um, you brought up, you know, you're familiar with L.A. Kings and you brought up Vegas and that building and all that. I want to touch on a couple guys that are tied to New Jersey. Um, sure. John Stevens was interviewed, but also Gerard Gallant was uh, interviewed a couple times, I heard, from a source mm-hmm. of ours. Uh, can you cool. elaborate on those two for our listeners? Sure. Well, John Stevens, um, a really good man. I think the thinking with John Stevens is that he's a, an exceptional assistant coach and he's probably not the leader, the forceful leader that you need behind the bench to be the head man. So I would be surprised if he got the New Jersey job. Gerard Gallant, um, I guess, right? I mean, I was kind of shocked that, you know, that he got fired in, in Vegas. Everybody loved him. He's a player's coach. The team went to a cup final, but the team underperformed. So there's some qu- questions of he's a really good X and O guy because look at the guy who was replaced by him, right? Peter Boer is a really good X and O guy. Maybe that he just wasn't good enough in the X and O. Or the other thing is, is that, you know, maybe with respect to a team, he might work in Jersey for this reason, right? When the team was an underdog, when everybody said they're going to be one of the worst expansion teams ever, Right. This team had a chip on its shoulder, right? And they say, okay, we'll show you. Tenacious. I've been, I was to games the first year in Vegas in that arena. They fought you for every inch of ice. They were tenacious. They were on the puck. Great, great Cinderella story. They went to a cup final, didn't get it. And guess what? After that, everybody got paid. And the motivation maybe wasn't there. And you had guys like, you know, Mark Stone and Pacioretty come in who already got their contracts and got paid. Different kind of coach you need. And you can see they underperformed. Maybe, maybe Gerard doesn't know how to coach that veteran team where you got a, a situation in New Jersey where you've got Heischer and Hughes and younger players coming up. They're probably going to get another high draft pick this year, right? So, so I think that he might be better suited for a team that is more challenged, has less talent, the expectations are low. I just think when he got into a position where this team was a favorite – he didn't have to motivate a veteran team that got paid. It's as simple as that. I think it was reflected in the pay. And Pete DeBoer is a, you know, a low-key, casual guy who took a team to a cup final as well, a really smart guy, and it's worked, right? When, when they made the change, it worked. The team got better. I think it was a motivational issue. So is John Gallant – he's going to coach somewhere. Would he be a fit in New Jersey? Yeah, for the reason I just meant, I think he could mentor and, and coach younger teams better, better than he probably can the veteran teams that uh, the expectations are much higher. I know the NBA likes to make Christmas Day right. their, you know, their their thing. Um, there's been reports if you know the NBA uh, comes out that Christmas Day might be their opening marker. I seen that. Uh, I saw that Gary was saying in the press conference today that he's he's leaning towards potentially like uh, we don't really don't know when the next season is going to start because sure. they want to get this one done first. But potentially January. Could you see like 
the NHL coming out like on January 1st and be like, this is our opening day now. And that would be the, the thing Absolutely. going forward. NFL does it. They play Thursday night or Wednesday night. Or is it Thursday mm-hmm. night to, to open the season? Well, yeah, why? Yeah, Thursday night. Yeah. Do that? Look, there's, there's nothing. Everything's being considered. Nothing's been eliminated with respect to that. Would that be a great time to do it? Yeah. Because, uh, look, I, I'll tell you this. And, and I've been advocating for this for a while. Like, there's no reason to start the season in October. Nobody You're in baseball playoffs. The NFL is in full blast. And I'll give you the example of this year, right? Would any, let's say Tampa won the cup. Even if they won the cup, do you think anybody in September, October, November is going to give a damn about the Tampa Bay Lightning, given who's playing quarterback in Tampa right now? They're going to get no play. It's like the worst no. possible situation. So to start this seat, to start a winter sport during the winter, wow, what a novel surprise. Now, would it have a situation where we, the end of the season would probably be longer and we'd probably be playing till, till July for next year's Stanley Cup. Yeah, it's going to take two, two seasons to normalize it. And maybe, guys, maybe if we do that start again, maybe they eventually move the start of the season away from October, started in November, um, and, and elongate it, play into July. If you're playing in Vegas in June 15th, there's no difference between June 15th and July 1st. So extend it a few weeks. So I think that that's... That's the easier. So could we have the Winter Classic open the season? I, I think it, melodramatically it would be kind of really cool. To, that's the start of the season, which is one, one, one of your signature events. I think that could be the case. I think they're less concerned about when this season ends. Um, look, here's the bottom line. They want to play 82 games next year. I don't think that they care if they started October, November, December, January. Would it be kind of cool to start with the Winter Classic? Yeah, I think it will get everybody's attention and launching a point from there. Here's my concern, though. Um, I think they're going to have about a seven-week hiatus between the end of the season and the start of next season. My concern is when you have these teams who go deep in the playoffs, you could have a hell of a lot of injuries next March or April. That's my concern because you're going to have players playing a lot of hockey. Not only that, you're going to have some players who won't be playing for nine months. Right? I mean, what, what's, the, what's the possibility of Jonathan Quick pulling a hamstring when he hasn't played since March and his first game is going to be in January? Pretty high. Right, so that's my concern is that going yeah. out of the box, the teams that haven't played for a long time, what's their physical presence going to be like? And then once we get to a point where we're going to probably play a more truncated schedule, the teams that went deep, they're going to be exhausted by March or April. So I think those are two concerns that we have. But look, the league has done all the right things. They've been totally transparent. They've worked well with the PA um, to get this plan in place. You know, that 29-page document about you know how they're going to do the health and safety factors that they released over the weekend is great. This has been totally transparent. And there's a great level of cooperation that you've never seen between Bill Daly and um, Gary Bittman and, and Daly and the PA and, and um, Don uh, Darcy and the PA. Yeah, I, I think so. That, that's a good thing from a, a standpoint of, you know, can we get a long-term CBA in place? So I, I think that, that that's the situation. So, yeah, could they start January 1st? Yeah, I think they would be probably better staying as far as away from football and probably postseason baseball as they can because there's going to be a, a hell of a lot of sports being thrown at fans in the fall, right? Football, baseball is mm-hmm. probably – they can figure it out, although I'm not sure they can figure it out. Baseball will probably be in the postseason, right? Uh, NBA will probably be in the postseason. So I think to take a pause and move it back a little bit more can only benefit. Right. I wanted to just elaborate on that uh, that CBA part. Um, how will COVID-19 influence uh, the upcoming new CBA in this era of hockey for generations to come? Um, 
I think that what I just mentioned, that there's more communication between the NHL and the PA. I just think there's a more, I mean, you're, you're, you're working together as a united front to try to get this game back on the ice. So I think the level of cooperation between the two of them, and that's what happens when you work with some, with people and you're in a foxhole and you're trying to come up with a solution to, you know, to overcome, you know, playing for three months and you're dealing with a, you know, a highly contagious virus. I think you draw closer together. So I, I think there could be opportunity. We had Matthew Schneider on the show and he said he's never seen the level of cooperation between the two sides than right now, which I think augurs well. So will they get a 10-year CBA like the NFL did? Probably not. Um, could they get a five or six year either extension or a new CBA, knock that out? I think they could. I think that that people understand that like what we're going through now is way more important than escrow and, you know, HRR. So you're like, oh, wow, my perspective's changed here. Let's see if we can come out to a deal where we don't have to deal with this headache because the headache that we're dealing with now is so more grave and massive than we've ever dealt with before. So I just think that this constant conversation between the two sides has helped to not mend fences, but I think there's more comfort level between the two sides. And because of that, I think we got a good shot at extending, a, you know, getting a longer term CBA in place between the two sides. Uh, and that's great news because I think a lot of fans are tired of hearing you about lockouts. Yeah. Oh, no, no, you can't like you can't have it now. I mean, MLB is just getting crushed yeah. right now by everybody. Just like these, all they're talking about is money, and yeah. nobody yeah, wants to no, hear it, about it. Yeah, I, I think that um, that would be really that would finish this sport if they had another lockout in in the next two years or something like that. But I don't think that's going to come to that because I think they've been now. Like they're not talking about it now, right? So they're not talking about stuff like Olympic participation thing. But when it gets to the point where the season's over, the Stanley Cup's been awarded, and you know maybe between September and October. You know, could two sides start talking, bring up? Yeah, because they, before all this, you know, gravity happened, they were talking about different points of it. So I think that the Olympics will come off the, you know, who knows what the Olympics will be ever be, uh, you know, c- competing for again with respect to hockey. But I, I just think that the conversation between the two lends itself, makes me feel better about the possibility of a, a long-term extension with respect to the CBA. Um, going to the playoff yeah. format again, um, so they're doing a round robin for the top four seeds that get buys. Could you see a scenario where like a four seed like Philadelphia just like runs the table and takes the number yeah, one seed away cares? from Boston? What, what, does it, what does it mean? It means that right. I mean, you're not playing for home ice, so you're gonna be playing the same building anyway. You're gonna be playing probably in Columbus. So I, I look, they did that, and Gary addressed that on the call because these teams wanted to play. They didn't feel that the 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 one week of rest for this, um, for that, while these other teams competed, would benefit them. I would have done it in a different way. I would have these teams come in a week, 10 days later, right? And then prep later. So their practices would have wound down when the other teams are going, but they wanted to have some competition. Now, the one thing is, is that what happens if Boston plays Tampa in a round robin game that's really kind of meaningless and Steven Sandler gets hurt again? Like, oh, man, then people are going to blow up and say, hey, wow, why'd you play those games? Because really, it's to keep those teams fresh. So you do as a round robin. Look, all these teams are going to be difficult to play. There's no easy easy out, right? All these teams have merit. So I I, I question that part. But Gary and Bill were pretty clear that those top four teams on each side just wanted to play some games, some legitimate games as opposed to scrimmaging. 
um, to keep them fresh for the next round. So when we talk about playoffs, we see a lot of physicality and all that and mm-hmm. great speed. Um, how will some of the uh, amendments, will there be limit of contact still with, you know, like, you know, players being post-quarantine and all that stuff? You know, there's a lot of things going around on online that a lot of people have been yeah. reading. Yeah, you know, Ryan Rashad talked to a uh, – um, a, a specialist with respect to, um, you know, viruses and stuff. And then he came out with all these findings, like they should be two feet away on the face-offs, no spitting on the ice, no fighting. Look, I looked at those findings, and this is a scientist giving you recommendations about a sport. I don't think that scientist ever watched a hockey game because there's no way. Plus, not only that, how could you, if you're going to do social distancing, you're going to keep players six feet away from each other on the bench? The bench would have to be 200 feet long. How's that <laughs> going to happen? Right? If, we, if we took all the recommendations from that doctor, we wouldn't have NHL hockey. And if you had to play it that way, then even me would say scrap the season. That is not going to happen. Expect the same sport. Right? Expect strums after the – because here's the thing, guys. You get, they said they're going to spend tens of millions of dollars testing these players. Right. And if somebody comes up positive, they're going to quarantine them, going to get them out of there. Like with the UFC, you know, the UFC, when they hit the first card in Jacksonville, a, t- a, t- a fighter tested positive. They pulled them out. They pulled his training staff out. They kept going. And this is and they've been on the record, Bill and Gary's, by saying even if there's one or multiple positive um, tests, it's not going to stop the league from playing the games, which I agree with. I just think that. And again, you have to understand something. These are not at risk people. Right? You have to understand if you're going to test them, they're going to be fine. But. Look, I'm going to get on my soapbox a little bit here. The, the strongest thing we have to fight COVID is our immune systems. You're talking about the average player being 25 or 26 years old in great shape, right? I, I don't think it's going to be a situation where somebody's going to call it fall really ill or pass away from this as an NHL player. If you're 85 years old and you're in a nursing home, yeah, you should stay home. But these players, no, I think that people understand there's risk. But, guys, there's risk every day when you walk out your door. If you don't want any risk, just stay home. And not only that, if you stay inside, you're more susceptible to catch the virus than if you're outside. So I, I don't, I don't see any of this being an issue with respect to, you know, um, a testing or anything like that. I'm very, very, I'm convinced that they'll spend the money to test everybody. If somebody comes up positive, they'll get them out of there. But they're going to expand the rosters too, so you won't have a situation where it's just going to be 23 men. You're probably going to go to 25 or 27 or 28 for that circumstance or for injuries. Right. So I, I don't see the positive test. I, I just, you know, I, I'm not a science denier here, but I just believe that the way they're going to do this, if you test people, you don't test them every day, test them every other day. And, and believe me, there are other ways to test players. Right. There are places that have that are factories that test 50 or 100 people. Let's say there's 400 people in a manufacturing facility. Right? This ability to test 100 people, they can all spit in the tube. You do a rapid testing. If everybody's negative, they all go to work. So is it incumbent upon you to test every player every day? No. I think they'll have enough protocol, enough safety. And I agree with Gary and Bill that safety and health of these players are paramount, right? But I think the way this is going to be set up with the testing and and, and setting people aside and coordinating things off, I don't think we're going to have a problem with it. I really don't. And not only that, as we know, viruses don't do well in the summertime. We need people playing hockey in the middle of the summer. So I think the incidence of the virus will be less. So I think... Look, it, it, I'll give you an example. I'm media. 
if I was allowed to go into a building and cover the, the games, which I don't think, I'm not sure I will be, I'd get on a plane tomorrow, wear a mask, walk in the rear, and I would have no concerns about getting the virus. I just think the way they're going to handle this and just limit people and, and m- limit moving around, I think will be fine. So, yeah, to, to, to go back to your original point about, you know, no scrums, no splitting nice, ice, I just don't believe it. We've just got to play hockey and believe that we've done all the safety precautions necessary to keep these guys healthy. So if there is no media access, are they going to be doing yeah. like virtual press conferences or scrums after like games and stuff? <laughs> or are they I would potentially hope so. trying well, to the have thing. media? They've done so many different Zoom calls with players that you could have that. Now what they could do is I think one option would be um, I, I think as we get the first initial – look, they're playing this all by ear. I think the first couple rounds, it probably is going to be media in the building because they're going to take all the precautions necessary – but as things improve and they get more comfortable with the situation and the incidence of COVID-19 goes down, hopefully in the summertime, I think once we get to the conference final and Stanley Cup final, they want media to cover it. Don't, don't get me wrong. Now, I can give a parallel because I went through it. When we did the World Cup of Hockey in 2016, right, they had a gigantic ballroom with risers and stations where plate players went to. So what you could do is what they did at the end of the – when I was in L.A. at the end of the games, you could have a guy on a riser – um, the uh, start a game, uh, coach, losing coach, winning coach, um, and have six feet of distance between, you know, and have a microphone ask questions. So you could do that. You could pull that off. Do I think media be in the building? I think as we get deeper into the playoffs, I think we will. I think the first round out of the box, they're going to be really, really tight with respect to access. And I think once they get more comfortable with how to operate, you know, they don't know how it's going to run first game night. This is something that we've never – you know, done before. So I, I think that they'll ca- they'll err on the ca- side of caution with respect to media getting in the building, you know, for the playing round, maybe the first round. But once we get to the conference final, like I said, in the Stanley Cup final, I suspect at that point in time, I think the media would probably be let back in the buildings. So it seems like things will become a bit more virtual that way for you know, media access. Do you think teams will invite you know, all the other forms of hockey media, not big names, but also more independent ones. Um, if it's via Zoom or Microsoft Teams, possibly. Um, do I think that the, the league in general wants to promote media and help out media? No. I really, I really think that if Gary and Bill had their way, they'd have just NHL.com cover this league to be totally honest with you, because they can control that part of the media. So the people they can't control is the ones like me that uh, sometimes, you know, break stories that they don't like or they don't want. So I don't think that, I don't think that, I think it gives them excuse to, to eliminate everyone. Right. I, I think I, I joke with Dave Pagnon, who's, who's my boss before the period. I'm like, well, they'll let the NHL.com people in the building. Probably nobody else. So I think that's, <laughs> that's, that's as well. So I don't think it, it look, if I was a, a PR person in this league that always needs more promotion and I had a media outlet that with a defined audience that covers hockey, would I let them in and cover it? Yeah, but I'm on the media side, not on the PR side. So you can't accommodate everybody. But if it's done virtually, there's no reason why with certain limitations, you couldn't include more people. Will that happen? No, I, I don't think the league is as media friendly as they let on to be. So I don't think really that's the case. Um, so yeah, it depends. It could 
guys like me and Bob McKenzie and Dave Panyota be, you know, included and guys like you not? Yeah. I don't think that this is it, – it's certainly the, the, not the perfect time to do it. It's certainly an excuse saying, no, no, we just need, you know, TSN and Sportsnet and SiriusXM covering this. So I, it depends. I'd like to see like, – I think if anybody has an audience, um, they should be included. But, again, I'm biased because I'm on the media side. <laughs> Yeah, I was... yeah, I hear you on that. Um, just uh, thought on this. I know with the TV contract coming up, um, you know, do you see them doing something similar with like the NFL going three networks, like they used to have, like yeah, in I Canada, think in, in just the to US get more revenue out of multiple it? Multiple platforms, like so. Already ESPN Plus, even though they don't, ESPN doesn't cover the NHL, they do carry games on ESPN Plus. And then the column, my friend, does a great job on in the crease with Barry Melrose. Right, exactly. So I think oh, I she does an excellent like the job. NBA. The NBA has got ESPN, TNT, TBS. And there are a hell of a lot of networks. They still have this, the Zone network that's trying to make a way out of it. You know, the, 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 there are enough platforms that I think that. You know, they got when they first did it. Now, remember way back in the day when they went to NBC Sports, it wasn't even NBC Sportsnet, it was you know, on the on a, yeah, it was versus versus outdoor network. It actually right? was outdoor, nobody wanted network. to pay them actually, for the rights, but now live yeah. sports programming, you get YouTube, you can get a lot of platforms involved. So, I would be shocked if it was just one network. And as people know, Sportsnet way overbid for the uh. For the rights, they had a you know like, like people like Leah Hextall and Nick Kiprios and Doug McClain go because they they couldn't justify the revenue. So I got to think that there's going to be more of a share between TSN and Sportsnet in Canada, and certainly multiple platforms here, uh, multiple networks in 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 the states because now the, the value of the programming has really increased since the last time they 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 signed the contract. Yeah, this brings me up to another part of uh, the streaming and entertainment side of hockey. Um, there's a lot of cable cutting. I'm sure you're also sure. there's, we spoke with Anya Packer of the NWHL. She's the PA right. executive director. She said for 8 million followers, uh, views on Twitter, their platform for national women's games. Do you see there being another robust way you can have Twitch for the NHL and maybe YouTube TV and maybe some other platforms like with 10 cent for, our Chinese viewers, etc. Yeah, I think so. I definitely think so. Plus, remember all the um, all the like NHL Network and a lot of is owned co-owned by MLB. So MLB has games on on Facebook Live and YouTube. So yeah, I think that you're definitely going to see that because we're you know we're to be we're in 2020, soon to be 2021. If they can get a pay-per-view model out of it, plus not only that. We can't get people back in the building, right? Well, then, okay, uh, you are a Kings season colonel. Well, we, well, then you subscribe for 300 bucks a year for all the Kings programs, promoting on Fox Sports. People don't even factor that in. Like, if we can't get a situation where we're let back in the building, how are they going to drive revenue? Well, that's one way to do it. Say, okay, we're going to refund you or we're going to postpone your payment for season tickets. But, you know, there, there has to be a model that way. Or, yeah, people that are outside of North America – um, that they want to tune in yet yeah, there's a myriad of ways to drive revenue um, and they have to look at you know, the over the top you know providers they can't just look at the standard because cable companies aren't paying for the rights right they, they don't have it's it's what people are flocking away from that so they're going to have to figure out a model that works 
um, internationally as well. Uh, but yeah, again, I, I think you're going to see it on more platforms than just ESPN Plus once we get going again. And it'll be finally nice to hear them talk about hockey on ESPN. Though lately they have been, Emily Kaplan's been doing a great job. You know when she's on SportsCenter, uh, which is like <laughs> like five minutes, but, but that's you know that's my that's my soapbox for this evening. I had soapbox talk. But Dennis, um, you know, thank you so much for coming on tonight. Um, Rich and I reached out to you. I know it was kind of last minute thing, but just you know with everything yep. going on in the hockey world and. Um, uh, thank you again for coming on and uh, just supporting the show and just filling the viewers Jim, in on what's going on in the National Hockey League. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Dennis. Take it no easy. problem. Take care. All right. Take it easy. Have a great Take it easy. Everybody.